We're turning to 1 Kings chapter 19, please. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're reading the first eight verses. First Kings 19 and verse 1. And you know the story, I'm sure, about Elijah, how he got to this place. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She gave him twenty-four hours to live. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. And another translation of that is he went his own way. And we're all good at that. And came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Do you ever feel like that? I have enough. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. And notice the word behold, because it startled him, this. And why would it not? Behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. The angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights on the Horeb, the Mount of God. We know God will bless to us the reading of his word. The Apostle James in his New Testament epistle tells us that the great Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Well, sadly, there's not many of us today with the fire, with the zeal, with the passion that the Tishbite had for the things of God and for the Word of God. 
You know the story because we preached on him some weeks ago, how he single-handedly faced the most corrupt and most immoral, wicked regime that ever reigned in Israel. That was Jezebel and Ahab. But not only does James tell us that he was a man of passion like we are, but that he was a man of prayer. He prayed and fire fell, he prayed and men fell, and he prayed and rain fell. He prayed and he strangled the whole economy of the nation for three and a half years. He was a man of passion, he was a man of prayer, and he was a man of power. He had power to raise a dead, decadent nation to life. He had power to raise a dead, desperate widow's son. He was a man of mighty power. He was a colossus of a man. And if ever our land needs Elijahs, we need Elijahs today. If ever a government or a nation or a parliament needs to be faced with the oracles and with the truth of God, it's today. And if we're going to see the hand stayed, the plague stayed, those are things will need to be done. And we need prophets. And the first stop would need to be at 10 Downing Street, where the prophet would stand and call Mr. Johnson out and re-echo the words of John the Baptist. Whenever he came to Herod, living in adultery with his brother's wife, it's not lawful for thee to have her. Maybe we'll be getting places there. And quote the word of God that righteousness like exalted the nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And if there was a prophet today like these prophets, that's where he'd be. At the very heart of the trouble. And then he would go on from there into the cabinet and to the commons and the house of lords and challenge them on the murder of a quarter of a million children in 2018. Then he would face them down regarding the laws of sodomite and same-sex marriage and transgenderism. I am sure if God's prophet was here today, that's where he would start. You see, we're being told and we know that the world doesn't melt down with this virus. Every news bulletin that you read and hear or or see or any paper you read, they're showing the professionals, the PhDs, the medical scientists, the virologists, the biologists, the psychologists. They're sitting in swivel chairs and you'll see behind them rows and rows of books. And with all their great scientific brains and skills and technology, they're chasing after something not the size of a midge. And the whole world's mad after it and they can't guess it. 
China with its one-child policy and slaying the innocent children and selling their organ parts for 50,000 pounds is facing an angry God. Do you know Do you know that the Chinese communist regime were to unfold new plans at midnight on the 31st of December to close down hundreds of evangelical churches, to arrest pastors, to take over buildings for commercial purposes? They'd ordered their soldiers to seek out the underground churches and close the systems down. Do you know that in 2019 they martyred 4,305 believers and imprisoned 3,150? And these plans were were ready to be introduced on the 1st of January 2020 and on the last day of December God's cup of iniquity overflowed and the first case of this pandemic was in Yuan in China. Is that a coincidence? And we are told from sources that this virus was, they had it in a laboratory, this was for chemical warfare, maybe for Armageddon, and now it's got out and it's slaying thousands, and you haven't seen anything yet. And if God doesn't stay his hand, we're in great trouble. And there's not one sign of repentance or prayer. Apart from that one chief financial officer. They say that there never was a crisis like this from World War II. Well, why don't the spiritual leaders rise up? Why don't they do what Churchill did in the crisis in World War II? Why don't they go into Westminster Chapel and close down the government and parliament and have a day of prayer and fasting? All we're hearing now is meltdown, lockdown, shutdown, breakdown, nobody's bowing down. Where are all the thousands of Christians in Ulster with all their churches and collars and books and colleges and all? Where are they all? Where are they all? Where are they in sackcloth and ashes? Where are they weeping and howling between the porch and the altar today? When the world's running mad, scared. I hear someone saying to me, I thought you were going to preach on depression this morning, Am. Because about the only word that you could write over Elijah, it's the only word you could write over the situation that we're in. It's the only word, my friend, you can write over the stock markets. They're depressed to the lowest level in history. Airlines are depressed and closing down. Tourist industries grinding to halt. Health services are exhausted. Sports stadiums are depressed and shut up. Parades are cancelled. Schools are closed. And we, like Elijah, the majority of God's people are running in fear. This is not the hour for fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear. And listen, fear is a spirit, and it's a spirit from hell. It's a spirit from hell. 
Elijah was depressed. Elijah was self-isolated. Elijah was on the run. Elijah was tired. He was weary. He was fearful. He was packing it in and he wanted to go home. And if every one of us is honest this morning, there's times we feel like that. Do you never think of come a time do you ever say, I've had enough? I've enough of the fighting, I've enough of the battling, I've enough of the trials, I've enough of the trouble. Or oh, you say to me, don't, don't be morbid this morning. Well, let me tell you, I'm on good ground. Because Elijah felt like that, and Moses felt like that, and Job felt like that, and Jonah felt like that, and Paul felt like that, and Simeon felt like that. He says, let me depart. But there's one thing, my friend, this morning, and this is the one thing that keeps me going, and I trust it keeps you going this morning. There is one thing this morning that God was not finished with Elijah. And God's not finished with you. So hold on. Hold on. This crisis that we're in is the hour of opportunity. It is as our sister prayed in the prayer meeting today for such a time as this. We're here. This is the hour of opportunity. It's not the hour for doom and gloom. It's not the hour to run. It's not the hour to flee. It's not the hour to moan. It's not the hour to groan. It's the hour to get out and get in behind the people of God and get into the prayer meeting and cry to God. That's what it's the hour of. He wasn't finished with Elijah. He wasn't finished with Moses. He had to lead the people out. He wasn't f- finished with Job. He had, to see the, he, had to, he had to see his health restored and his family restored and his enemies defeated. He wasn't finished with Jonah. He had to see revival. He wasn't finished with Paul. He had to write 14 epistles and build 10 churches. And he's not finished with us yet. So we can whinge and cry and want to get home and all the rest of us, but we'll not go a minute before his time. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to go home. As long as you don't tell the Lord how to do it and when to do it and where to do it. And you don't do it yourself. Now we have him here. Where is he? He's under the juniper tree. The broom tree. And what's the first thing we read him doing? Well, in verse 4, he's praying. In verse 4, he's praying. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Can I say that all this praying man of God's prayers were answered, but not this one? Lord, take me out. Lord, take me home. I'd rather you take me out than Jezebel would take me out. I don't want to die at the hands of a woman. Is that the way he's praying? Seems to me. Remember, there's a 24-hour sentence on his life. 
That's why he fled. That's why he ran. That's why he was afraid. Fear is an awful thing. It's a deadly thing. It's a demonic thing. And I'll be preaching on it tonight. Because mind you, when it gets past the mind and into the soul, you're in depression. It's good to pray when you're afraid. But make sure your prayers are in accordance with the will of God. It's one thing to wish and to hope and to soon, as I said before, to get home. But oh, don't dictate to God how and when and where and how. This was a foolish prayer. And we pray foolish prayers at times. And we'll pray foolish prayers when we're in a crisis. We pray foolish prayers when we're up against it. We'll, we'll, we'll pray foolish prayers when, when we don't know what way to turn because he was never going to die anyway. Elijah never died. Elijah was raptured. And if you're going to pray anything at all along these lines, pray that the Lord will take us out. But he's going to do it someday very soon and sooner than you would think. Sooner than you would think. My friend, let me emphasize this again. This plague is Mickey Mouse compared to what's coming when the, when the seals and revelations opened and the horsemen of the apocalypse marched down. I'll be glad I'm not here. I'm glad I'll not be here. This is not the tribulation. Don't let anybody tell you it is. These are the birth pangs again of what's coming. These are the warning signs of what's to come. The plagues and the great tribulation are nothing if you study Revelation to this. So the first thing we do, we see this man is praying. And it's good to pray when you're down and defeated. And it's good to try to pray, but pray the right stuff. But the second thing we see him doing, he's sleeping. Do you, do you, do you think that he was safe from the lions and the bears and the wolves? Mind you, he's away out in the heart of day's journey. In the wilderness, in the desert. Bless us if he wouldn't have got under a tree that died. Do you think he was safe? Do you know what I read the other day in an old ancient book? That snakes and vipers will not come under a juniper tree. I wonder was that why he went in there? Because being you there would have accommodated them very quick. Maybe he didn't really want to die, did he? I mean, you wouldn't have long to live if you lay out in the sun there. Oh, how sad it is to be sleeping out of the will of God. Believer, are you asleep outside the will of God this morning? 
moaning and groaning. It's an awful place to be. No word, he had no word. He had a word to go to Zarephath, he had a word to go to, to, to he had a word to go to the brook, he had a word to go everywhere. No word here, no call here, no rest here, no peace here. He's sleeping, but he's not at peace. When God sent him to the brook, he gave him the word. When he sent him to Sarephath, he gave him the word. When they sent him to Obadiah, he gave him the word. When they sent him to Ahab, he gave him the word. When they sent him to Jehu, he gave him the word. When they sent him to Hazel, he gave him the word. When they sent him to Elisha, he gave him the word. Sleeping spiritually outside the will of God. And can I say this? There's no use in you praying for anything outside the will of God because you'll not get answered. The only prayer that God will hear outside the will of God for the backslider is the prayer of repentance and contrition and cry out for forgiveness and restoration. God will hear that. He'll say, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Flee back, man. Man, the word that needed to come to Elijah was flee back, man, to the line of duty. Flee back to your first love. Flee back to where you left it. Flee back to where you lost it. Arise from the wilderness, that place of death and drought. And if I'm speaking to some preacher this morning, and there's plenty of them out there, and they're on the run, and there's many of them under the juniper tree this morning, stressed out and hurt and wounded and lonely and fearful and rejected. I say to you, rise up and get back into the battle again. Rise up and get back to where God called you to be. What doest thou here when you should be there? May God keep us in the center of his will. May we stand our ground until the last minute. He's praying out of the will. He's sleeping out of the will. He's eating out of the will of God. (laughs) Oh, what grace. Oh, what mercy. Oh, what love the Father has bestowed upon us. My friend, he doesn't forsake us in our bad days. He doesn't forsake us when we fall and backslide and moan and groan. You know, he loves Elijah as much here as he loved him when he was on Carmel. He loves him as much here as when he was sitting at the brook obeying his word and waiting and waiting and waiting. His love never changes. And if you had a bad week last week and you fell and you stumbled and you booted about and you're guilty this morning, and you felt guilty during the week, listen, it never changes love. Never changes love for you. Bless his lovely name. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Your salvation doesn't depend on you losing your temper one minute. Your salvation doesn't depend 
on you not praying or having your quiet time some morning. Your salvation doesn't depend because you got cross with the children. My friend, it's deeper than all that. There's a merciful and loving God who cleanses us from all our sins and all our faults. And he still spreads the table. <laughs> Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes, he did. There's still food on your table and there'll be a dinner for you. Yes, there'll be still water on your top. He'll still guard you at night as he did Elijah. No beast will come near him. No snake will bite him. He's God's servant, maybe out of the will of God, but there's a merciful God. He protected you in the car. He protected your children in the bus. He gave you food and clothing. And a thousand other things that you know nothing about. Even though we fail, he's faithful. He faileth not. He sent an angel all the way from heaven to the dark, barren wilderness where there wasn't a man or woman. God wasn't looking for the glory. Is it any wonder, he says, Behold, how can this be? How can it be that God would condescend to a backslidden, whinging, depressed, looking to die, man. Behold. Heart staggered him, you know. And it surprised him. But it didn't satisfy him. Didn't surrender him. You know why? He ate and he drank and he went back to sleep. The fire was there, the coals was there, the cake was there, the water was there. It never, never brought one word of appreciation. One word of thanks or one word of repentance. He maybe let her grunt at him, drank it and ate it and went back to sleep. Manna from heaven. Well, you know what I would have done? I'd have said, you boy, you. <laughs> and I bring you anything again, you'll eat it. When you can die, you starve. And when you want it, you can come looking for it. Maybe you'd have done the same. Maybe you wouldn't, but I'm worse than the rest of you. No, the way you go and lie on and sleep on, you turn me away with food and coming all this way and bringing all this to you to help you, and that's all you can do, grunt and go back to sleep. Where you go, 
Oh, no. God came again. Oh, the mercy. He touched them twice. You notice that when you read it. He touched them the first time and he touched them the second time. Oh, for a touch of God. He touched them. Double touch from the Master's hand. You know a touch we're not allowed to do it these days. But you know one touch on the shoulder of someone that's down and defeated and depressed and getting it tight. One touch on the shoulder better than a thousand foolish words. Brother, I'm thinking of it. Sister, I'm praying for you. And there's some of you women here this morning and your fears and your trials and you have concerns and the devil rubs it in. Well, we pray for you. I can say in the presence of God that I pray twice most days for all of you here. And far more. But you know, that's all right. But a wee touch, and I'm not good at that, but a wee touch just will mean more than all the words. And God, the angel, maybe Christ himself, if a theophany, touched him the second time. Do you know why he touched him? So that he could touch others. You know, the Lord showed me that. He touched him that he could touch others. He could touch Hazael the king. He could touch Jehu. He could touch Elisha and swing his garment round him. It's a good job he didn't die. And I'm praying, and I'm saying this, Stephen, I'm praying all week that God will touch you so that you can touch others out of this mission. And Robert, my days of mission gone and over. But I'm praying for these young men that they'll get a touch of God. And God will touch them so that they can touch others. Do you know that I spent, with David Wilson went up into the loft there in that old barn during the week and we took down thousands of cassette tapes. And I'm not exaggerating. And most of them were masters. From we started here, we started recording in 1990. And we went through them. And I went through them and burned a lot of them. But I kept some of them. And I'm counting up, that was to 2010 until we come over here. And if you ask Landis, she'll tell you many went out. Thousands. Th- there were eight thousand we reckon went out from over there. Two women come in every Monday, Sylvie and Phyllis every Monday, and they copied the meetings, conferences, conventions, missions, Sunday morning, Thursday nights. Copied them, had them for the people when they came, and they went out in droves, they went out in thousands. Thousands have been touched. 
touched. Keep sending out them, Landa. Get the CDs out. And lives will be touched. You know, my friend, God will touch you so that you can touch someone else. God touched him twice. Never said a word to him. Never condemned him. Never rebuked him. Never said, get up. Never said, what are you doing here? He said that later, but not here. He was too weak for that. And we need to be very careful what we say to someone when they're depressed and when they're down. He gave them, and I'm finished now, he gave them, he gave them bread and he gave them water. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And the word of God is the living water of life, as Christ is too. And he fed him on the bread, and he drank on the water, and he refreshed him with the manna from heaven, and said, go! And he went on his journey 40 days on the strength of the bread and water. And as you go out into this week, Take the spiritual manna that you've heard here this morning with you. Drink of the word and eat of the bread. And go on your journey. Because it'll be too great for thee without it. You'll not survive if you're not in the word. You'll not survive if you're not dwelling in Christ. And off he went, 90 miles, to Horeb, to where Moses got the commandments. 90 miles, on the one foot. Can he furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes. Let me tell you, he brought the children of Israel the very, very same route. Two million of them and more. And he supplied their needs. Manna from heaven. Water from the rock. Whales from the sea. He done the very same thing whenever Peter and a few of them backslid and went back to fish. Jesus says, I'll meet you in Galilee. The risen Christ said to them, I'll meet you in Galilee. And they went up to Galilee to wait for him. And he, 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 he waited and instead of waiting on him to come, they got the boat and they went out to fish. And all night they toiled and they caught nothing. He'll catch nothing out of the will of God. Only trouble. And they fished all night and they caught nothing. And the morning he was on the shore. What are they? He had fish, and he had manna, and he had the breakfast for them. Oh, the mercy and the grace of God. He'll feed the backslider, and he'll feed the sinner, 
because he loves them. And he'll feed you through these hours and through these days. How long they'll be, it doesn't matter. Whether the children are off school, it'll not matter. Let me tell you, no plague will come nigh your dwelling. And there'll be bread and to spare because we serve a great and mighty God. Let us pray. We're not going to sing anymore now. Just those that are remaining for the table, leave a blank roll in front of you, please, so that the servers can walk down through with the bread and with the wine. Rolly will go out and he'll open the doors. And if you can get back tonight, we'll really appreciate that the Lord has laid another message in my heart tonight. Now, Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your love and for your grace, for your long-suffering. Thank you, Lord, you don't abandon us whenever we fall and fail and run, scold. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy to us and your grace to us. Lord, we pray as we go, those going as we all go soon, that we go in the strength of thy word. And we'll digest it and live on it and think of it. It'll strengthen us, Lord, in these days. We need strengthened. Hear our cry, answer prayers. Just again, we pray for Stephen. Oh God, let him get his eyes of men and people. Lord, bless the opening of this mission. So we commit all into thy loving hand, in Jesus' name. Amen.